Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of The Ideas Factory. I am Nakma. Joining me in this conversation is Professor Harsh Pant. A couple of things that we will be looking at on this episode is the partnership between India and UAE, the trade pact that they have signed, which is very, very important, very significant. And what we will look at is how significant it it is for India and UAE. And um, uh, what really does it mean for the India-UAE relationship or India's Middle East policy? Uh, how does it strengthen that? We will look at that. We will also look at the Quad Summit that took place and the consolidation of the Quad countries um, as a democratic grouping against uh, the so-called autocratic China. We will also look at foreign ministers' visit to Philippines, all of that. And of course, Ukraine continues to be um, a tense area uh, where Russia says that it has no intention of attacking Ukraine, but the West, uh, uh, as Russians call it, the West is whipping up a frenzy that Russia can attack Ukraine any moment. We will look at all of that on this episode and take some of the questions that our viewers have sent in. But let's start with the India-UAE pact. Uh, Harsh, uh, it's, it's very significant development that India and the UAE have uh, signed a comprehensive economic partnership agreement. Uh, It is said that it is going to take forward our trade from about $60 billion to say $100 billion in a couple of years, about five five years. Uh, So it is very, very significant in terms of the economic cooperation in many fields. But uh, if we look at it from the point of view of the partnership that India and UAE have been developing and Prime Minister Modi's Middle East policy, what is its signal about that? Uh, Thanks, Agma. I think, uh, you know, this is important from from multiple perspectives. One, of course, is, as you point out, uh, primarily uh, India is signaling uh, that it is serious about economic uh, partnerships economic dimensions of those partnerships that has been, um, you know, after India uh, did not join the RCEP, uh, there has there have been concerns uh, about uh, uh, India's integration into global economy. Uh, and I think there have been uh, challenges uh, on that front. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the whole paradigm of globalization has undergone a transformation in the last uh, two, three years. Uh, and India also is uh, has been for the for a while reluctant to sign uh, free trade agreements. Uh, you know, this is the first uh, free trade agreement of its kind that India has signed in almost a decade. So I think its its importance uh, is just first in terms of the sim- symbolism uh, that India is back in the game. And if you if you recall, uh, you know, there there are a number of other. Uh, free trade agreements that India is negotiating at the moment with countries like Australia, with with, there are, uh, with the UK, with EU, uh, even an early harvest agreement or a mini agreement with the US uh, is on cards. But this is something uh, where India has finally gone ahead and in a matter of, uh, I think, less than three months, concluded this agreement, which I think uh, is, in, is in itself uh, a, a very important development. Uh, that economic partnerships, the way India is trying to forge economic partnerships, um, 
which need to be more balanced in the contemporary global economic context uh, and where both sides actually derive benefits based on their comparative advantage is something that india is driving home with this agreement if you see the labor intensive nature of some of the industries that 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 would benefit out of this uh, that's quite quite clear what india's intent is and how india wants to take it forward but i think the larger point here is uh, is about india uae relations and how uh, you know this this new comfort level uh with between the two countries that has emerged uh, you uh, you know always when you end, end up signing uh, free trade agreements in particular you need a certain kind of comfort a political comfort because increasingly that's how uh, trade and uh, and economic agreements are being looked at and the reason why countries want to move away from china um you know whether it is about trade or whether it is about the restructuring of supply chains it is because of the trust factor so increasingly trust is becoming very very important and political trust is becoming very very important when you talk of economic partnerships and so it tells you a story about how um, the the trust factor in this partnership has increased between india and the uae now yes. uae of course has been a middle east as, as you as you were pointing out is a very important middle eastern country and how the middle east policy uh, has undergone a transformation from a point where saudi arabia and uae uh, were very important partners of pakistan today they are they are standing with india on issues as wide ranging as trade and terrorism uh, and 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 what what is what needs to be done in the region you would recall uh, india uh, being part of the middle eastern so called quad uh, arrangement uh, where a few uh, months back uh, foreign minister jay shankar attended the foreign ministerial level meeting uh, between us israel india uae so i think the the relation nominal transformation and the political trust that has been engendered is uh, is allowing this relationship to move in the economic domain as well and the signing of this agreement the very fast conclusion of this agreement is a testament to that effect absolutely like you pointed out there has been a transition there has been a shift in middle east approach uh to the world too from standing together with pakistan and saudi arabia uh now middle east opening up and actually becoming an oasis of religious uh harmony in west asia because we heard things like uh construction of temple taking place and uh middle east reaching out to many other countries that that reflects there is a there is a change in the outlook there too but middle east uh, as if we talk about uae uae is a very important country in the organization of islamic countries and recently because of the hijab row that took place here in india uh we also heard uh, uh, oic condemning that and talking um, and and you know issuing a statement uh, so when we talk about religious harmony and tolerance india's image has taken a beating at the world level does that affect this these kind of countries um, the partnership with india when you talk of trust factor so this is all about trade and trust but uh, does that trust get affected by things like these see anything that happens uh, you know within the country of course has an impact on how uh, uh, countries Uh, would view uh, india's role in the world but uh, you know what what i think is important sometimes is to distinguish between what happens in in these multilateral platforms like oic where you would have uh, multiple countries trying to position themselves 
uh, in the in the in the Islamic world versus what happens bilaterally or even even in a platform like uh, we were talking. I was discussing the Quad in, in the Middle East. I think the strategic priorities of countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE uh, they are changing because they recognize that the world order is changing that the you know old style uh, reliance on oil cannot continue. Uh, you cannot be a single, uh, you know, uh, uh, unit uh, economy anymore. You need diversification, not only diversification in your in your uh, economy, but also diversification of economic partners. So this whole idea that you can rely on on the U.S. Uh, only uh, is 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 giving way to a more nuanced understanding of how the distribution of power in the world is changing and how they need to reach out to countries in the East. And I think that is why we have seen a dramatic acceleration of ties bilaterally uh, between Saudi Arabia and India, UAE and India. But of course, when it comes to OIC, OIC will have a different agenda, and at times they would be concerned about certain things that are happening within uh, individual countries, and they would issue statements. And India will respond to that, uh, and India has responded to that of in course. its own way. So I think, yeah. in some ways, the, uh, those those aspects will not be a hindrance. To the development of bilateral relationship, and as we have seen, uh, it is under this government, uh, under the Modi government, which has been uh, at times criticised by, uh, you know, uh, on on the grounds of uh, uh, religious discrimination. On the, on those grounds, in fact, uh, we have seen the development of this uh, of India's very very robust Middle Eastern policy. So I think strategic relationships have a logic of their own. And yes. they will move forward depending on the convergence of interest, which I think is very, very strong at this point. And Mr. Modi, I think at the top level uh, in, in India has invested a lot in the Middle East. And I think there has been a lot, lot of reciprocity if you look at, you know, Saudi uh, government or uh, the UAE government, uh, you know, reciprocally involving themselves with India. So I think there has been this back and forth between the two countries that has, uh, you know, in some ways allowed the relationship to be insulated from the internal developments. Absolutely. In fact, very interestingly, in um, actually a snap to Pakistan, we've also during this recent trade agreement, we've also heard from groups, Emirati groups who are um, investing in post Article 370 Jammu and Kashmir. From you know, when you spoke earlier of how a UAE or uh, Saudi Arabia uh, was standing together with Pakistan and the shift from there now to talking about investing in Jammu and Kashmir, which uh, Pakistan never fails to raise at any international platform. Yes, I think that is that is very interesting. And I think that is uh, also uh, it takes the sting out of this criticism, uh, because if you look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think the story goes back to Article 370's revocation as well. Uh, when that happened, uh, the kind of uh, muted criticism that we saw uh, from several Islamic countries uh, and also the fact that uh, Pakistan has been trying uh, vociferously to internationalize the issue with little success. And now here you have, uh, you know, the case of uh, uh, various Emirati groups trying to uh, get a foothold in Jammu and Kashmir. And if that happens, I think that would be good for the region in many ways. And it would be good for, for Jammu and Kashmir, for India and for the relationship, because I think that would also signal uh, a newfound commitment to the relationship that even in difficult uh, terrain, even in areas which are considered to be, uh, you know, which would politically be con uh, construed, uh, you know, relatively sensitive. There, I think the sensitivities have given way to exploration of opportunities, economic opportunities in particular. Uh, so I, I uh, you know, and, and therefore I think Pakistan in this whole discourse has been marginalized to a considerable extent. 
by India's outreach to these very, very important and influential uh, Gulf countries like Saudi and, and UAE. And I think if, if UAE's uh, intention of uh, involving itself in Jammu and Kashmir economically comes to fruition, and that would change the dynamic altogether because I think then uh, they, they, you know, this aspect of, uh, of uh, India's internal position on Kashmir uh, being with the focus of a number of uh, platforms like OIC would also become largely marginal. Yes, absolutely. So we see a very, very distinct shift there as far as the Middle East is concerned, their policy or their outlook or their outreach towards the world. Much has been changing even in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we've also, uh, Harsh, we've also seen the Quad Summit take place in Melbourne. And it was very evident uh, this time that the four countries coming together, not shying away from publicly acknowledging the grouping as a democratic uh, answer to a more autocratic China and uh, bringing back the focus to the centrality of the ASEAN countries uh, in the entire, in the uh, where, as far as the bigger picture of uh, Indo-Pacific security concerns um, uh, are concerned. Uh, so, and you know, uh, Jayshankar choosing Melbourne to deliver a message to a country like China with the for Australian foreign minister standing by his side during the joint press conference is also seen as uh, an answer to the mention of Kashmir in the, the China-Pakistan joint statement that had come out a month back when Prime Minister Imran Khan had uh, visited uh, China. Uh, so very interesting and very clear message this time to China. Yes, I thought, uh, you know, um, this was one of, uh, one of the few times that uh, we have seen India uh, being very, very vocal about certain things that usually uh, in New Delhi is KG about, you know, in, 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 uh, in global platforms. Uh, but this time, I think gradually we are witnessing um, uh, India shedding its reticence on, on these issues and trying to project um, a more confident assertion of what it feels to be its, its vital interests. And I, and, and I think the articulation by, uh, by a minister, not only about India's position, uh, you know, here is something that is that is a challenge uh, uh, with China because China is has not really uh, it, it has not really been keeping up its commitments. These are commitments written written commitments that China has made, and it you know that commitment is not being followed, and therefore the the, the challenges in in, in Sino-Indian relations. But he also talked about you know trade coercion vis-a-vis -vis Australia. When asked whether this is, uh, you know, what has happened to Australia is trade, trade coercion, he basically said, yes, of course, uh, you know, um, uh, this is something uh, uh, that has been going on for a while and Australia has been at the receiving end. So not only uh, projecting India's sensitivities, but also uh, showing solidarity with a, with a fellow Quad country like Australia and saying that these challenges uh, are not uh, unique to India. This is a, a larger problem of, of China's uh, coercive tactics whether it is on the borders with India or whether it is on the economic front with Australia. So I think there is a there is a larger message that is that increasingly uh, India is sending that it's that it stands uh, with its uh, quad members on areas where China is concerned. And that message came out very, very categorically in, in, in um, uh, I think, Dr. Jayshankar's call of But I thought uh, you know, what was also interesting was the, the larger quad platform per se and uh, and and what it did because i think the focus this time from uh, which is quite uh, uh, i think uh, sensible 
uh, is was on the operational details of what do you do? You know, what what is happening to the vaccine? Uh, production and cooperation among Quad countries. What is happening to climate change and infrastructure cooperation among Quad countries? So I think there was a there was a distinct focus on deliverables that uh, you know we can we have now laid out the roadmap and now we are trying to focus on what Quad as a collective can do in terms of delivery on the ground. And that I think came out uh, very strongly in this meeting uh, with uh, as far as. Uh, uh, the, the larger quad platform is concerned. But as far as uh, India was concerned, uh, India bilaterally, I think, through this visit uh, made it very clear that the challenges with China continue and that not only India is involved in this, but India can see that there are other countries involved. And now I think one final point on this, which I think we also saw that the, the dive, sorry, the divergences being explored, you know, that that it's not it was not as if on all issues the Quad countries were together. Uh, India made it a point that, look, on Myanmar, we have a slightly different approach. We all want democratic transition, but uh, India is not in favor of national sanctions. Similarly, on Ukraine, India was uh, reticent in terms of articulating uh, the position that perhaps the other three countries were articulating. So I think there was, it was also an attempt to, uh, uh, for India to carve out its own voice uh, on, 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 as far as the Quad agenda was concerned. That while Quad uh, is increasingly becoming an all-encompassing platform, there will be issues where divergences cannot be avoided. And those divergences will also have to be articulated in a, in a manner in which I think the foreign ministers, uh, which we, we saw four of them standing there and, and putting their country's uh, perspectives out there, managed to convey to the world that despite those divergences, the Quad continues uh, on, uh, to be on its way towards greater institutionalization. Uh, and greater collaborative effort on, on the part of these four countries uh, to map out uh, and to uh, operationalize uh, a very wide agenda that they have formulated for themselves. Hush, just a final point there on uh, on the ASEAN countries. We also saw, uh, you know, the centrality of the ASEAN countries. Their acknowledgement to that also because uh, external affairs minister visited Philippines after that was very evident that court is focusing on the ASEAN countries and their their centrality their significance in the in the larger picture of the Indo-Pacific uh, strategy or the security concerns uh, because Jakarta and Manila are very key to the Indo-Pacific security concerns we've seen the Biden administration approving sale of F-15 fighters uh, to these countries to Indonesia we've seen India equipping Bram uh, uh, selling Brahmos um, or having a deal with Philippines uh, for the Brahmos supersonic missiles. So the significance um, and the centrality of the ASEAN countries uh, has also been acknowledged. And there is a question that one of our viewers have sent in on this. Uh, Onkar Darpe asks about how significant is Philippines for India strategically and what are future contours of cooperation with Philippines and between Philippines and India? And uh, views on Indo Indonesia diversifying its defense procurement by purchasing Rafales and F-15s in place of the Russian Su-35. You know, ASEAN centrality uh, is, of course, going to be key uh, for uh, the success of, um, of the Indo-Pacific vision. After all, ASEAN sits at the very core, at the very heart of, uh, of the Indo-Pacific. And of course, ASEAN uh, members themselves are divided on how to approach this question of China. 
uh, a number of these countries, uh, you know, you mentioned Indonesia and then Philippines and Vietnam, uh, they are involved in, in perhaps direct confrontation with China on the South China Sea. Uh, some countries are more in tune with Chinese thinking. And I think that's what is putting enormous pressure on ASEAN. Perhaps uh, for the first time since uh, since ASEAN was created, we have not seen this kind of divergence emerging within ASEAN. So ASEAN is at a crossroads. And what Quad and other platforms like Quad are trying to do is perhaps uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, give some sustenance to ASEAN and, and make it clear to ASEAN that uh, you know, ASEAN has it uh, in itself to emerge as an anchor in the region with with help of other countries you know they it's it's the, the only alternative is not simply uh, following chinese diktats uh, so i think uh, it is important for countries uh, the quad countries to keep on emphasizing asean centrality uh, and to keep on giving that uh, you know that level of support to asean that perhaps asean requires most at this critical juncture in its evolution uh, as far as uh, uh, you know um, uh, uh, Manila and and uh, Jakarta are concerned. Where you've seen, uh, you know, these are the two countries, perhaps along with Vietnam, that that are directly engaged uh, with China on South China Sea. They have uh, issues with China, and they are trying to, I think, in in their own ways, resist China uh, very very significantly. So I think uh, for them, it is important that they start diversifying their defense, uh, you know, uh, requirements. Not only defense requirements, but also to a certain extent, economic partnerships, and that's what we are we are witnessing now uh, with uh, with Indonesia, with Philippines, both of them trying uh, to expand their ties with uh, other like-minded countries, including India. And uh, and I think there is uh, in the in the broader sweep of things, there is no real divergence there between the Western countries and India, insofar as these countries are concerned. So I think it's easier, in some ways, to work. Uh, with the West, uh, uh, as far as uh, when it comes to uh, uh, Philippines or when it comes to Indonesia, I think what will be put forward is how uh, you know these are very important. Indonesia, Philippines, how they can shape the trajectory of ASEAN, uh, and when what you know uh, what kind of an outcome they expect from ASEAN trying to find its own way as the rivalry between US and China becomes uh, more intense. And I think as we uh, as we move forward, perhaps we will find that uh, the strategic autonomy uh, that uh, that uh, Indonesia would want or that Philippines would want would take them uh, you know even closer, even uh, you know that than what we are witnessing today uh, towards India. I think India is a natural partner in some respects. India is an organic partner uh, to to Southeast Asia with its uh, links uh, in in Thailand and Myanmar. So I, I I don't think there is any real challenge here. Uh, in terms of the strategic vision, what I think Indonesia and the Philippines will have to do is to coordinate their response within the larger ASEAN framework, which is not as easy as it seems because ASEAN has grown uh, with a common purpose and a common agenda for far too long. And as the divergences between ASEAN member states mag, uh, you know, come to the fore, uh, I think it, it, it will be important for Indonesia and the Philippines to find their own way. And I think they are doing that with the with Philippines now finally deciding to buy the Brahmos. Uh, and of course, India finally deciding to sell Brahmos. There have been a lot of discussions for a long time. Uh, so the deal is finally done and dusted. And that's, I think, great for India from its defense manufacturing perspective uh, as, a, as a security provider uh, uh, role in the region, but also important for Philippines 
uh, when it looks at diversifying its partners and diversifying its defense partners in particular. So I think we are looking at a, at a, at a, at a very rapidly evolving situation in Southeast Asia. And as it looks uh, around itself, it would find in India, uh, perhaps uh, one of the more trusted and reliable partners. All right. Uh, thank you so much for that analysis. We are um, running out of time on this episode. There were many other questions as far as Ukraine is concerned and uh, uh, India and China are concerned. We we'll probably will take them up on our next episodes. Uh, we, we do not have much time on this one. Uh, Ukraine continues to be tense. U.S. says that the Russian troop buildup is probably the largest since World War II and the onus for diplomacy uh, lies with Moscow. Now, we will keep a close watch on how things unfold on that front, but probably on our next episode. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Harsh. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.